Sunday morning. Uh, not as cold as last week, but hey, you are the hardcore. And I am so glad that you're here. Good to see you. Um, we're talking about spiritual practices um, these days in our current sermon series. And ultimately, what we believe <clears throat> in these practices is that this is the way to abundant life. Remember, Jesus said at some point uh, that he had come to bring us life and to bring it in abundance. And if you'll remember, the word that he uses means beyond imagination. It means abundant in the sense of wow kind of abundance, all right? So this idea of abundant life <clears throat> that he promised, um, spiritual practices help, help us to get there. And, and what, what, what really needs to happen, I was thinking about this this week, is in order to have that abundant life, we have to have some type of transformation that's inside of us, okay? And, and I was thinking, you know, why is it, that, you know, we think we don't need that for a moment. And here's the thing. If we did not need inner transformation, you would already have abundant life. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So if you're, if you're not feeling like you're experiencing abundant life, guess what? <laughs> you know, there might be some evidence that, that there's some inner transformation that needs to happen. And so abundant life, in our estimation, that inner transformation that needs to take place is that we grow to be like Jesus, because I think Jesus had an abundant life. It's not that he just came to bring it, but he had it. He had it to give. Does that make sense? If you're tracking with me, there's a certain amount of logic to that, I think. So for us, abundant life is growing to be like Jesus. But of course, as we've mentioned before, there's a problem. And the problem goes like this. First of all, when we're talking about growing to be like Jesus, when we're talking about inner transformation, it doesn't just happen. It, it's not just a, a Shazam moment, okay? But on the other hand, the d dilemma here is that you also can't earn it because this is something that God does. It's God's grace that imparts this abundant life, this inner transformation to us. So I can't earn it, and it doesn't just happen. Where does that put me? Well, this is um, what we've been talking about, is that our only option is to get ourselves close to God somehow, to put ourselves in proximity to God. We talk about the idea of position and posture. Position meaning being close to God, posture being in a, in a posture of receptivity, if that makes any, any sense to you. And to do that, we engage in these things called spiritual practices, because it puts us in the position, it gives us in regular contact with God, and it gives us the posture of humble receptivity. Are you with me? I'm just saying, you know what, I don't have it all, and, and God, if you're going to do something, I, I need you to do it inside of me. That's, that's humility, if that makes some sense, okay? So keep that in mind as we're, as we're going along. Now, in week one, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the practice of clarity or the practice of focus, and the way we did that is we talked about a theme for the year. Let's ask God at the beginning of the year um, what he might want to do to work in our lives, right? Let's ask him if, if, if he wants us to be like Jesus and he created us and he knows us and he put all these things inside of us, maybe, just maybe, he's got an idea about the things that he wants to, to change in your life. 
Again, novel concept, okay? So that's what we did the first week. So we selected a theme, and just one theme, not 15 themes, just one. And by the way, your theme can't be donuts, okay? <laughs> or something along those lines. You're thinking, you know, I'm sorry, but Krispy Kreme is not going to give you inner transformation. Well, it might give you outer transformation, but it's not going to give you inner transformation. So keep that uh, in mind that we're just talking about one idea, one word, one phrase, one thing, maybe two on a rare occasion, three, but this idea of having a theme for what the year is. Um, interestingly enough, I was talking to some people, and uh, a couple of folks I know, they have two themes, but they're related. And so you're just kind of going, hmm, wonder what that's all about and what God's up to there. It's kind of exciting, actually. Last week, we talked about the practice of prayer, <clears throat> which is really cool um, that week. And remember, prayer is just talking to God. Sometimes we make it to be this bigger thing, and it's not. It's just talking with God. It's a spiritual gauge. The more you want to pray, more, the more likely it is that you're closer to God. If you don't feel like praying, that never happens, right? When you don't feel like praying, you, your, your spiritual gauge is, is I'm probably, probably further away from God than I really want to be, right? And then <clears throat> prayer is learned, I'm so thankful for that, that you don't have to have it all right away. And prayer involves listening, listening to God. It's a conversation and uh, keeping those things in mind. So here's my check-in for you this week. How's it going with those spiritual practices? You know, do you have a theme or two or a phrase? Do you have a team built around you, people who encourage you in that part of your journey? Do you have any types of routines built so you keep it in front of you? I went uh, just this week and started writing stuff on my bathroom mirror. I think I told you that I take a little um, dry erase marker and I put it on there so that when I get out of the shower and everything's all steamy, I can see it, right? So do what you need to do in order to keep that theme in front of you because the likelihood is in the first couple of weeks you're going to end up um, forgetting it. And so you want to keep it in front of you as much as you possibly can. So uh, here's the other check-in. Um, did you pray with someone last week? How many of you actually had the opportunity to pray with someone last week? Sweet couple of you. You spiritual giants, you. Outstanding. Um, I had a couple of opportunities, and it was, it was really great. Remember, very few times do people actually refuse prayer from someone else. So take a risk and, and say, hey, can I pray with you? Today, I want to start in a different place. I want to start at the very origins of the church. If you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, you might want to go to Acts chapter 2. This is something that we <clears throat> pick up on from time to time because the things that happened in those early days, there's some principles and ideas that we can transport and put into today, although we may have to reimagine them a little bit. But um, Acts chapter 2, and I want to walk through this kind of verse by verse and point a few things out and then um, I'll make a point and offer some thoughts. So here's where I'm going. Chapter 2, beginning with verse 42, because if you start at the beginning of chapter 2, Peter gives this really long sermon, and uh, there's a lot of Jewishness to it. It's a very interesting sermon, but, but we want to see the after effects of, of God sending his Holy Spirit on that early church. Here it is. <clears throat> they devoted themselves, he's talking about these new believers, this new church that's beginning to emerge. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Okay? 
Now, how many of you have, have seen this one before, right? You've seen this, you've, you've heard this, some preachers preached on it at some point. If you've been any part of my churches, you've probably heard this before. They devoted themselves. Here's interesting. The, the term devoted here uh, has the idea that it's continuing, that it wasn't just a one-and-done thing, that it was a continuing process. These are, as it were, practices that they engaged in, okay? So devoted here has, uh, is a very robust term. I'll put it that way. So it was a, uh, they continued or they continually did four things, right? Four things. The first one is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So <clears throat> Jesus has left. He's gone back up into heaven. And the Holy Spirit has come down on these 12 individuals, and they are trying to teach this large group of people, this growing body of people, what it means to follow Jesus. Are you with me? I mean, this is pretty straightforward stuff. So the way I kind of look at this is that what they're doing is that they've devoted themselves. How do you devote yourselves? They actually tried to do what they said. They applied the teaching. In other words, here's these disciples saying, okay, this is what it means to follow Jesus. These are the types of things you do. These are the types of things that you, you um, uh, express. These are the kinds of things that you talk about. If you want to follow Jesus, here's what that looks like. And so they would devote themselves to receiving that teaching and then actually living it out. At Thrive Church, we talk about absorbing and living out. So we go to the Word, we try to absorb the things that we read, and we try to actually live them out. Okay? So we apply the teaching that we receive. Secondly is to this idea of fellowship. And <clears throat> fellowship, <laughs> I, there's, there's just no way of saying it. It's just hanging out with one another. It, it's not more complicated than that. These people spent time in each other's presence. So they devoted themselves to the other people who were on the journey with them. Does that make sense? So if I'm trying to live out Jesus and you're trying to live out Jesus, let's hang out together and figure out what that means. Because I'm sure you've got questions. I know I have questions. Let's talk about them and let's see how it goes from day to day, from week to week. So fellowship. Number three, <clears throat> breaking of bread. Now there's quite a bit of discussion in the scholarly community about what this means. Um, at the very basic meaning, it probably means that they had dinner together or lunch or breakfast. They ate food together, okay? There, are, there is some evidence to suggest that this also meant um, they had communion with one another, what we call communion, breaking of bread. I tend to think that it's probably both and, not either or, okay? So if they're gathering together in their fellowship, they're going to eat together because it is so much easier to get people together when there's food. Amen? Come on now. That's right. You know, every now and then you got to have yourself an eating meeting. That's where all the belly Christians show up. You know what belly Christians are, right? They come when there's food, right? So anyway, breaking of bread here can mean both eating dinner together, but also having communion. And I, like I said, I think it's both and, not either or. And then finally, look at this. They devoted themselves to prayer. Remember last week, one of the, the <clears throat> arguments, one of the assertions that I made is the fact that when we pray, we partner with God to shape the future. And if you're in an environment like the early church where not everybody is excited about Jesus, how, how important do you think prayer is? How important is, is your, your notion of God intervening on behalf of the future? Pretty important. And that, comes, that happens later on 
um, as the church comes under persecution at points, at points too, this idea of prayer, that we are actually partnering with God to shape the future. And we do that through, through prayer. <clears throat> um, that's a pretty profound statement. And remember, these are, are, were regular parts of their church experience, what we would call church experience when they're gathered together. And now, here's what's fascinating. Verse 43, the very next verse, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Okay, so they're gathered together, they're committed to these four ideas, and there's a certain result that happens here. There's a certain outcome to <clears throat> some of these things. And their signs and their, their wonders. And when they're gathered together, they're talking about this. Did you see what happened to Phil? Oh my gosh, God moved, right? I don't know if there was an early church guy named Phil. That's what I, that's just my name. But the, the point is, is that they're sitting there talking about these. They're telling the stories about the things that God has done. How many of you think that that actually honors God? When, when you tell what someone else has experienced through God's work, you are honoring God with that. Therefore, tell the stories, okay? Now, I want to take you to an, another part of the scripture. This is in the Gospel of Mark. Pull that one up for me. Right at the end, verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, Jesus is making this comment to his disciples, he says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Okay, Dan, go ahead and bring the box of snakes in. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry, Gina's back there doing this <laughs> kind of thing. When we talk about things like signs and wonders, and I want to be very, very careful with this because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around these things. But Jesus is ultimately saying to his disciples, when you believe and you are connected to God and you are connected to other people, signs and wonders may start to occur. That is not a guarantee. That is not saying this is how God operates. All I'm saying is the early church experienced things. Jesus talked about it. And as a body, we need to consider that. Now, for the record, in Thrive Church, we are what we call open but cautious. Okay, We want to be cautious. We want to be a thoughtful church. We want to be a thinking church. But I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing some things that are occurring in people's life. And how cool would that be, right? Um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to share one of these stories. Um, we're trying to put something together that uh, some pretty exciting things have kind of happened, and, and I want you to be a part of it. So I'm going to uh, hopefully tell some, some stories here shortly about that. So keep this in mind. It's not that we're pursuing signs and wonders, they are not the goal, but they may be the result. Don't, don't flip-flop those. Because sometimes I think people pursue the signs and wonders and they forget God. Tell you what, let's pursue God and let's see if the signs and wonders show up. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Okay, I think that's an important. That's, that's how you're open but cautious. Keep your focus on the right thing and let the results kind of fall um, where they will, right? <clears throat> 
So verse 44, verse 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So there's two things together. They met together in one place. They were together. Keep that in mind. They actually spent time hanging out with one another. Big group gatherings. And they shared. They held things in common. Meaning, hey, what's mine is yours, what yours is mine, and, and together we're going to, to, to be this thing called the body of Christ, to be the kingdom of God here on earth. And they even sold stuff to help others. Now, look, this doesn't mean that nobody had anything. But it means that they had the right heart when they saw things. What they did is they expressed this radical love that Jesus had. Are you with me on that? Again, I think you can take this to the extreme and cause the entire body some problems. But if you have the right heart, if you put your focus on the right place, if you have the right heart about, hey, I just want to help my brothers and sisters out. Wow, look out, things start happening. Okay? Sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Mm. And then we get some detail. So all of this to say are kind of generalities, but we get a little more detail in verse 46. Here it is. Every day they continued to meet together, where? In the temple courts. Remember, this is in Jerusalem. This is where the temple is, which is the theological center of the universe if you're Jewish. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they worshiped at the temple daily. Now, here's the thing. That's normal. If you're a Jew and you live in Jerusalem, there are specific times of the day where you go to the temple. You pray, and sometimes there's other functions that you have to do there, but daily prayers is a big deal. In fact, if you go to Israel today, there's a thing called the Wailing Wall. If you go to the Wailing Wall, this is part of where the temple used to be. There's a whole kinds of politics in that area, but, but faithful Jews will go there often daily to pray. So the fact that they met together in the temple courts every single day is just normal for their, um, for their uh, lifestyle, for their way of life. Because, you know, here's the thing. We all have busy lives. We all have jobs. We're not necessarily going to meet together every single day, right? But the point is that's normal for them. And we have to keep that in mind as we're reading this. And now when they're gathering together for, worshiping, for worship, they're doing it with a Jesus perspective, and they are in a large group. So there is something about the early church gathering together in a large group. Because it's like, I might live in this part of the city, you might live in that part of the city, but when we're together, we are following Jesus together. Okay? So there's a certain amount of encouragement that happens just when we gather together in a large group. All right, you, you know, take it into today. How many of you are encouraged when you leave from church on Sunday? Every hand ought to be up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm there. But yeah, that's one of the reasons why we do this. I remember I talked to a friend of mine probably 15 years ago, somebody that I knew. In her comment, she attended a different church in our area, and she goes, you know what I'm really tired of? I'm tired of leaving church crying every Sunday. And I'm like, man, maybe you just need you a new church. You know, <laughs> just kind of a novel concept here. But if that's the way it's going to be, I'm not necessarily sure that's what this early church had in mind for, for the way things ought to be. And if we... Um, look at the other half, of, or continue to look at this passage. They broke bread in their homes. Again, probably meet, you know, they're eating lunch together. Uh, and uh, they ate together 
um, with glad and sincere hearts. There's another translation that I actually like better. It says that they ate with joy and generosity. Now think about that. They ate with joy, meaning they're happy to be together. Joy is like, you know, amped up happiness. And with generosity means there was always room for somebody else. I actually like that translation better. I think that, actually, I think that fits the Greek a little bit better too. But anyway, my question is, can you imagine what that would be like? Can you actually imagine how other people would have reacted to that? Remember, this is a much more communal society. They don't have, you know, voluntary isolation like we do in the suburbs. But the point is, is that, they, that these people would gather together, they would worship, then they would go back to each other's homes, and they met together, and they actually enjoyed each other's company, and there was joy, and there was laughter, and there was hope, and there was support, and there was generosity. What did other people think? And if you want to answer that question... How would you react to that? How, how would you react to that? Because remember, what we're reading about in ancient times, those were real people. And they had real emotions, and they had real lives, just like we do. When they viewed this kind of thing, when they actually saw joy, and when they saw the generosity, however you feel about it, is probably how they felt about it not crying. You know, I read that and I think to myself, joy and generosity, that was a special place. Brothers and sisters, that's what the church is supposed to be. Joy and generosity. Joy and generosity when we gather together. And of course, there's a payoff here. Here's the payoff, very next verse. Uh, joy and generosity, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is important. They had the goodwill of the people around them. Well, why not? You're, you're joyful and generous. Tell me another place where you can get that. I mean, seriously. Think about even today. Where do you find joy and generosity? This is a special place. It ought to be that way. And of course, the other payoff here is God was moving among them, adding people to their number every day. If you're going to love Jesus, if you're going to love Jesus, you might as well enjoy it. I've been in far too many churches with sour faces, folded arms, some of you are smiling because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you have experienced this. <clears throat> and I think to myself, where's the joy? Where's the generosity? Where's the, where's the attractiveness? Where's, the, where's the, the, the beauty of it all? Fortunately, we don't have that problem at Thrive Church. I come in here and I see smiling faces and people are glad to see each other and and hang out with each other. I love that. I love it. I love it a lot. I love the shoes. I love the purse. love it. Really do. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. That's all right. But if you're going to love Jesus, you might as well enjoy it. It's this idea of being sober and serious. 
You know, in staff, we, we often say, it's amazing we get anything done because we're usually goofing off. I'm going to tell you a quick story because he's going out the door. <clears throat> when we interviewed Dan, <laughs> boy, that 1015 bus is right on time. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. When we interviewed Dan, the first interview we had was with a, with a Skype meeting, and Dan was very serious. I mean, like, serious. Some of you know how intense, you know. And I really liked everything I heard. I liked everything. And I, I said, I want you to come down. I want you to meet the team and everything. But if you don't enjoy goofing off, you are going to hate being part of one of my teams. And he's like, no, 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 <laughs> kind of a thing. And so when he came down, he fit right in. He was laughing and yucking it up with the rest of us. It was really cool. But that's the point that we're trying to make here is that there are moments when we have to be serious. Real life is serious. Stuff happens, and we have to deal with it. But the point is, is if we are gathered together and we are joyful and generous, that goes a long way in smoothing out the bumps. Can I get an amen? That's true. It's very true. And I think that we need to, we need to think about that a little, more, a little more often. Now, I want to suggest something today. I want to suggest that community, this idea of gathering together, community is a spiritual practice. Why? We are hyper-connected and relationally starved. This is a reality. This is not going away. This is a good tool. But if this takes the place of relationship, we are lost right? Okay, I still think there's, there's an important aspect. This has a place in our life, but it cannot replace real knee-to-knee, eyeball-to-eyeball type of relationship that we have with others. I am not knocking this. I am not condemning it. I am just warning that this can become a problem. And here's the reason why. First, we shape our tools, then our tools shape us. We need to be, we need to be honest about that. Okay? It's not going away. It generally is a good thing. However, we have to think about this. Last night, um, I was with um, three quarters of my family having dinner, and uh, I was checking in with a staff member on something. And it was just a quick thing. We were just sitting down. A waitress came up, put her food down, and said, Put that away. <laughs> Your dinner's going to get cold. And I'm like, Ooh, I like her. <laughs> She's sassy. <laughs> so. So maybe you've had that experience too, but um, we don't, we no longer really do community naturally, largely because of the way we live in a suburban environment, largely because we have technology, largely because we have um, these things that, that put space between ourselves. And coupled with American individualism, which has its pros and cons, okay, coupled with that, and consumerism, let's be honest, we are we are disconnected from one another a lot. We're just disconnected from each other, idea of relationship. So I think what we need to do is to take this 2,000-year-old cue and ask ourselves, what would it be like if we were continually devoted to talking about what it means to follow Jesus we're continually devoted to spend time with others who are humbly working out what it means to love neighbor as self. 
What does that mean? What does it mean for you? What does that mean for me? Let's talk about that. What would it be like to be continually devoted to each other so that we would eat with one another and pray together? I know it's scary sometimes to pray, but you know what? If you're just talking to God and not talking to the people around you, it's going to be okay. Because Jesus speaks your language. Because God does nothing but an answer to prayer. Thank you, John Wesley. What would it be like to practice real community? What would that be like? Can you imagine it in your own mind? By the way, this word fellowship, really fascinating word, fellowship. They devoted themselves the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Powerful word. In Greek, it's koinonia. Let me hear you say koinonia. Okay, don't be impressed because you can look it up. Right? Koinonia. Koinonia <coughs> is often translated as fellowship or as community, depending on what, what um, translation you're reading. But let me see if I can explain to you what koinonia is. Because koinonia is not just a group of people. Okay? So imagine an elevator, okay? I want you to imagine an elevator. If you get on an elevator and ride it up with a group of people, that is not koinonia, that's just a group of people. But if you live in an apartment building that has an elevator and you are getting home from work at the same time as everybody else and you're riding the elevator and you're asking how your day is and you're riding up and you're talking with one another, that's koinonia. The difference is, koinonia is a group who has a shared experience. Do you understand that? Otherwise, it's just a group of people, right? Koinonia has to do with a shared experience. So if the elevator breaks down and everybody bonds because they're in a tight space and someone is claustrophobic, that would be a shared experience, I think, right? No, but just the point of the fact that you're having a conversation with someone about asking how their day is or, you know, what kind of coffee they're drinking, because that smells good, or whatever it happens to be. The point is you have the shared experience that happens over a period of time because it's very difficult to have a one-and-done shared experience. I mean, it can happen. You can have that bonding, but really this is something that happens over a period of time. Community out of a shared experience. That's koinonia. That's what the author is talking about. So it's not just getting together. It means that we're actually connecting with one, one another. The early church had the experience of Jesus in living out his teachings, which, by the way, we can do today. We can have the shared experience of Jesus. Here's what Jesus did in my life. Here's what Jesus did in your life. Let's share that, and let's talk about what that means for me tomorrow when I get up and go to work, maybe at a place that I don't really like. Or maybe a place that I love, as the case may be. Let's talk about that. So let me offer just three very quick thoughts on practicing community. If you've got a little sheet, does anybody got a little sheet? Cool. If anybody needs a little sheet, they want to write these down, this would probably be helpful for you. Uh, Dwayne's got some more. Raise your hand if you want one. Okay, first of all, number one, make room for other people. Make room for other people. Make room for other people in your calendar. Make room for people in your home. Make room for people in your life. Make room for people in your 
prayers. Make room for people in your conversations. Invite other people to be a part of that. Community never just happens. Community is an intentional, deliberate act. You gotta, you gotta wanna hang out with people. You gotta make room for them. You gotta put some energy into this. Let me tell you, um, we lived in this really cool little community when we were in seminary. <clears throat> and two doors down, down was this couple, um, John and Trina. Some of you heard me talk about my friend, Redneck Trina. Um, they were from eastern Kentucky, and they had this habit of calling Lisa, not Lisa, but Trelore Lady. I'm not sure why. We're still not sure. But she would call up, or sometimes because of how our thing was, and it was hot in the summer, and we'd have the windows open, and Trina would come up and look into our window and say, Trelore Lady, I need to go to the Walmart. Not Walmart, the Walmart. Again, it's Kentucky, right? The Walmart. You want to go with me? And this happened on a regular basis. And let me tell you, those two women, just by going to the Walmart together, had a really tight friendship. Why? Because they made room for one another. Hey, I'm going to go do this. I don't want to do it by myself. Why don't you come with me? It was cool. To this day, it would be very easy for us to go back and pick up right where we left off because we had that kind of a relationship with that couple. Does that make sense? And some of you have had similar experiences, but it happens only when we make room for one another doesn't just happen. So, number one, make room. Number two, please, please, please refrain from judging. Refrain from judging uh, other people. Look, here's, 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 you don't know their life. You have no idea the, the circumstances or the experiences that they had that led them to the conclusions that they have nor the behaviors that they act out on. You don't know that. And you know what? You're not qualified anyway to judge them. Don't judge. Judgment will shut down relationship, and you know what else it does? It crowds out God. Don't do that. I feel like I'm doing this, and I hate doing this, but I'm telling you. We do violence to the kingdom of God when we think we can box him out of somebody else's life. Pay attention to that. Here's a third one, real easy. Take a risk. Take a risk. Just like I did last week, double dog dare you. Take a risk, okay? First time attenders at Thrive Church very often comment about how Thrive lingers back at the coffee and bagels <clears throat> after service. Yep, we measure that. We gauge how we're doing um, by how long people stay, stick around to connect. If I have to shoo you out of here because Sophia, our custodian, wants to go home, I like that. Right? That's a good thing. I don't mind shooing people out. But you know what we really want to see? Families inviting other families to go to lunch. Why? Because it's a, a deep... I love this. Keep on doing that. Um, I just talked to somebody last week visiting our church for the first time. Eyes big as dinner plates. Wow, a lot of people stick around. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's what we want. People notice that kind of a thing, but they also notice when we say, hey, what are you doing for lunch? What are you doing for lunch? Just a thought. Our staff will often hear things from people that we meet outside of Thrive. Boy, we just don't feel like we're connecting at our, our current church. And again, we're hyper-connected and we're relationally starved. And, and what people are longing for is what I call the cheers factor. Everybody knows your name. Or at least a good portion of them, okay? People know your name. They care about what's happening. They, they, hope, and, they hope for you. They support you in whatever it is that you're doing, if nothing more than just saying, hey, how's it going? Sometimes that's all you need. I just want somebody to acknowledge the fact that I'm here and that I have a life that's outside of this place and there are things that might be going on. That's a big deal, and it should be. But I want you to warn you something. I want you to be very, very clear about this. When we talk about relationship, and we can all go, yay, relationship, great idea. But there is a cost to relationship. It will cost you your time, it will cost you your attention, and it will cost you your vulnerability. Can you be hurt? Yes. Can somebody else judge you? Oh my gosh, yes. Could you be misunderstood? Of course. But it is so worth it when you actually connect with someone and you care, and you love, and you support, and they get to know your name, and they get to know your kids' names, and they actually care about what's going on in your life. That is worth it. Because you were never, ever, ever created to live life by yourself. I don't care what anybody says. You are not designed that way. And when I hear about things like people connecting and caring and you know, doing things, you know what that sounds like to me? It kind of sounds like the kingdom of God. That sounds like the kingdom of God to me. Those are the things that get me excited, uh, um, especially in the morning. So I want to leave you with one thought. <clears throat> in Hebrews chapter 10, since we have this confidence in, in Jesus, He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. That's community. How on earth can I possibly spur you on to love and good deeds if I'm not spending time with you? Can't do it. So let's not give that part up. Community is a practice. It is something that we have to repeat in order to improve, like all practices. So when you're spending some time today thinking about this, I'm just going to ask you to try to make room for somebody else. I don't know what that means for you, but I trust that you do. You're smart people. You're imaginative. You're creative. You got up this morning. You put clothes on. You can do this. I promise, right? You know, I'm going to um, do just what I did last week. I'm going to park back there, and um, I would love to pray with you, especially if it has something to do with community. It doesn't have to. 
I would be honored to pray for you, with you, about anything that's on your mind. But today, my challenge for you is to make room for at least one other person some point this week, something that you would do out of the ordinary. It may just be saying hi to a neighbor in the next driveway. Hey, if that's a, that's a step for you, that's awesome. But maybe it's making room by inviting somebody over or going out and inviting them into your life. I don't know what it is. You do it.